0: all right so here's the deal this podcast was originally titled make me smarter and now it is well it's up in the air but i think it is now called smart me up and uh, i'm sorry for the confusion this is a terrible way to begin a project not being able to keep a name not being able to keep a logo Uh, it's very disheartening but uh Well, I came up with Make Me Smarter. After a lot of thought, I liked it. I liked the simplicity of it. I liked how it just told you right what I was trying to do, and uh, I was happy with it. And then I told my wife, and she took 0.3 seconds to shoot back, you should call it Smart Me Up. It's a good name, it's a good title. And I told her that, I said, that's a very good title. Uh, for some other show but not mine because mine is called Make Me Smarter and uh, she was relentless she began waging a pressure campaign to get me to change it from Make Me Smarter to Smart Me Up and uh, unfortunately all of my friends agreed with her that Smart Me Up was a better title which is honestly kind of fucking rude but you know so as of right now the show is call make me smart up smart me make me up smart i don't know i'm still working i think it's called smart me up and uh the annoying thing is you know i had a really good theme song and like make me smarter make my brain work harder and that's gone that's done i can't use that anymore it's just you know i had plans for it i was gonna record really good versions of it and uh well thank my wife now I'm no theme song, so long story short, I apologize for what my wife is putting everybody through, but the show will continue under some name, and uh, I just hope you can listen without prejudice. Smart me up, uh, smart. No. Smart me up, smart me up. Okay, so the music that you are presumably listening to right now—I uh, say presumably because I haven't added it in yet—but I have, uh, I have faith in my ability to do that. But this music is by my good friend, Michael Hurst, who is the guest on tonight's show. Uh, It's actually a track from One Ring Zero. Uh, That's his band that he's in with Joshua Camp. They've not really been doing a whole lot lately, but um, based on this interview, I'm hopeful that we're gonna get more from them eventually. Uh, He is a musician with Tons of music under his belt, uh, in addition to his own solo stuff and Wondering Zero, he's also composed and recorded a bunch of film scores, including To Be Takai, uh, Jennifer Krutz documentary about George Takai, and uh, he's an author. I am looking at his Amazon page right now, and I'm seeing uh, Unusual Creatures, a mostly accurate account of some of Earth's strangest animals. I see Curious Constructions, Unconventional Vehicles, Extraordinary People, and American Heiress, which actually is a book by Jeffrey Tubin. Oh, but it's about Patty Hearst. So, okay, you can ignore that one. Anyway, Mike is not only a really talented guy, he's a really nice guy. He's an incredibly down-to-earth guy, and I... Have always felt comfortable talking, and we got along very well very early on. And well, here's our conversation. I'm going to warn you in advance. There is an immense amount of testosterone that is going to be thrown around in this conversation, uh, mostly just in you know, in our voices and our demeanor. So I'm just going to warn you in advance. If that is going to be an issue for you, you might want to. Well, whatever. You know how, you know what to do with your own. Anyway, here's the conversation. Okay, so Michael Hurst, I have not talked to you in how long.
1: Well, uh, it depends whether or not you want to include us seeing each other on a Zoom birthday call.
0: We didn't really have a lot of uh, back and forth being you in that call.
1: No, in fact, you were having a uh, computer problem, so it was kind yeah. of like I think you, I think I asked you, I like, "Hey man, how you doing?" And you like said something, but only your mouth moved, and I couldn't hear you. And then you texted me. Uh, it, bah,
0: it, bah, yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's that's how we roll in 2021. Uh, but yeah, good to see you.
0: Yeah, no, oh, so great. It's so nice to see you. I uh, you're one of those people who I am always like every time you pop up in my life in some way, like whether your email of your new album comes out or Wondering uh, Zero pops up on my phone. Let's
1: face it; it's usually it's usually self promotion that it pops up. Well, no, no. But it, let's be real about it.
0: Oh no, no. It's no. You guys are in my. Uh, you permanent fixtures in my main playlist that I that I've been cultivating for years. Oh,
1: well I appreciate that. Yeah, so it's
0: great. But every time I think every time you do pop up, I always think, I wish that guy was still
1: in my life. Oh well thank you. And likewise. But you're in what, Syracuse now or, or Albany or Rochester. Rochester, somewhere in New York that's far away from New York City. Yeah. Very, very far away from New York. I, I, I'm following and I love what I see. You you're married, you have a child, you have a dog, you have a beautiful house with guitars hanging on the wall and Ceiling fans, you know, you have all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's wait, I got the life now. This is the life. Good. Uh, how old is your child now?
0: Uh, my son Emiliano is going to be seven in
1: June. Oh, I mean, our kids are like the same age, pretty much. I mean, mine's um, just six months older. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: So, what's your son's name? Nathan. Nathan is already seven.
1: Yeah, he he his birthday is New Year's Eve, so he uh, he is seven oh. and exactly, however, what the date is.
0: How about sorry, How about fluoxetine?
1: Okay, no.
0: Uh, oh, we're going to get the fluoxetine. Okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> I want to just inter- introduce you a little bit more than just as an old friend of mine. You are a musician. Uh, you, I met you as one of one half of the band One Ring Zero with
1: Josh. Josh or Josh Uwa, Joshua Camp.
0: Loved your music. I became like an instant huge fan. And I got to know you. So it was like as exciting that like I got to meet you guys and I got to know your music so I could geek at you through email whenever I wanted to about whatever song I was listening to. That was really fun.
1: I feel like that makes me sound so much more important than I am. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, that was a fun band. And, and, you know, I, I, I say a little bit past tense because. We haven't done a whole lot in several years now, but, um, you know, people who knew of us, it's getting thinner and, th- you know, whatever, like it, but, but that was fun to get to know you and you were living in Philly at the time and I was in, uh, Brooklyn and you, I think you set up an event or something. Were you part of the 215 festival that,
0: uh... I was part of the 215, but I was not part of that event. Okay. You did a, you did a show at Tritone. Yes. And I came to it and saw you and i was like who the fuck are these people like i (laughs) like i just did not i was not expecting uh you guys i was expecting a rock band i mean not that you're not a rock band but you are you're so much no we're pretty nerdy yeah you're pretty you're more like what i want to hear than quote-unquote rock band you guys played these two these instruments and that was kind of what the, the band was based around although you did use a lot of instrumentation but what were they called again
1: Claviolas. you know i was just going to say uh when you're you're like trying to describe what we were i feel like the perfect description came in my head which was that one time i was at the gym in brooklyn and a woman came up to me and was like i know you and i was like uh, okay and, and she kept looking at me and pointing you know and like she was on the elliptical trainer next to me and finally she turned to me and she goes i've got it you're in that band, Harry and the Potters. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, uh, but that, I feel like it is a little bit of a description of, of what we were like."
0: Oh, you—that's—that is not a good example. Well, but, you that know, not a good description of what you were like.
1: Glasses and theremin, a little bit like
0: magic wands. And, hey, Emmy, hey, I'm—I'm so, sorry, one second. Emmy, I'm in the middle of a conversation right now, so this is my—I'm talking to my friend, talking to my friend Michael. Okay. Michael's a musician. I'll play some of his music for you when, when I'm done with the conversation. Wait,
1: is this for your podcast? Yes, it is. So it's for your podcast, Make Me sma- Smart. For me Make up? Me Smarter, yes. yes. Smart Me up.
0: Yes. Yes. There's a lot of drama in the house about whether the name of the podcast should be Make Me Smarter or Smart Me Up.
1: What did what did, what did he just say? He
0: says Smart Me Up. Uh, my wife Gypsy came up with Smart Me Up and Emmy sides with her and so far everybody sides with her except for me.
1: I like Smart Me Up. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm there too. I think it's it's a little cooler than Make Me Smarter. He likes she, Smart make yeah.
0: Me What well, It me also up. is, I just realized when I was like I'm trying to Google my own podcast the other day, just try to get to the Apple page. There is already a podcast called "Make Me Smart," so by default, I may, I may end up having to change it, change the title.
1: Smart me up, dude! I think you should add a dude to Smart it. Smart me up, dude! I like it. Anyway, I'm
0: sorry. So where, where are we talking about? good so band? We're talking about
1: Harry and the Potters. Harry and the Potters. And such a good band. Well, they, I never saw them. I mean, I, but I just love that we were compared to them, where I, I was mistaken for them. Um, but yeah, no, we, we were. Uh, Art, art rock, I think, was... Uh, lit rock. Lit rock.
0: You guys play these very, almost like exotic-sounding uh, instrumentals in your earlier albums.
1: The first three or four albums we released were all instrumental music for the most part. You know, there was always a song or two that had singing, but they were mostly instrumental and using weird instruments.
0: And also, more than just weird instruments, it, you were also using weird scales, too, weren't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we were composition majors at school geeky and you know it was it was a little bit proggy and ethnic-y and some called us ethno hipsters It was like klezmer yeah i mean there, there was you know like we loved world music and, and still do it was always like hey let's try to write a piece that has a little bit of a um, balkan sound here or you know yeah that. yeah
0: exactly that's it's, you know that's that's what i'm talking about and you guys so you guys made these albums and they were and they were fantastic and then you came out with this album, like right around the time that I met you, where you had invited authors to contribute lyrics and then you and Josh would add music to it and they turned into these, this album full of fantastic songs. It's just still one of my favorite albums. Uh, just there's so much good stuff on there and so many good
1: authors. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So that was, you know, we became involved with the McSweeney's publishing literary scene that was happening in Brooklyn at the time, 2001, 2002. And you know, we we're playing all the all these uh shows at the McSweeney's headquarters, which was there at the time in Park Slope and, and Oh
0: yeah, that was the they have a, a charity named after that. Well don't they?
1: that that came later. The eight two six NYC oh. thing was Several years later, this was before that, and it was just okay. a little shop that was also the offices, and and we'd have events there, and so authors would read, and we would play a few songs in between, and we were essentially the house band for this little place, and got to know all these amazing authors. It was just like it was right when the whole literary scene was exploding, in largely in yeah. Brooklyn, you know, and um some in Philly, also, and you know, Canada, all over, but but it was like we happened to have like. Every author with the name Jonathan lived within a few blocks of McSweeney's. Um, <laughs> you had a lot of Jonathan yeah. around there at yeah. the time. Uh, and so we got to know them all um, because we were playing music. And it, it just it dawned on us, hey, why don't we ask them to write lyrics for us? Uh, and so, you know, they, they would give us the lyrics and then we would compose songs to uh, fit with those lyrics, essentially. Yeah, and that was a blast. I mean, that, you know, and that was definitely the high point of One Ring Zero and got us the most press and kind of put us on a map that expanded beyond Brooklyn and Richmond, Virginia, which is where we were from.
0: Which is where you guys met in the Honer factory,
1: right? Yeah. Good memory. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Honer headquarters was uh, at least the headquarters for North America was in Richmond, Virginia. The factory itself was in uh, Germany. It was basically everything for North America, repairs, distribution. uh, And I was a, a harmonica tech and Josh was an accordion tech. So, you oh, know, wow. that, that was essentially, how we, we met in music school, but then we both started working together at this place and and, uh, and it was a blast. And that's, you know, when we really started to collaborate and especially taking, borrowing honer instruments and bringing them home and trying to figure out how to record with them and, and write songs. And, you know, ultimately I ended up keeping half these instruments and it became the uh, cornerstone of One Ring Zero.
0: I became friends with you in Philly around that time. It was like Everything was going on with the literary magazine uh, with the literary world, I was doing parenthetical note. Oh yeah, and I got you to do some good uh, short stories. Short stories or short like essays.
1: I love the parenthetical note. Yeah, and he had those amazing drawings, and it was so much fun. Yeah.
0: That was my friend Mike Cannon who who did those. I really, uh, he did some fantastic. He did some really cool stuff.
1: They were great. I, you know, I know the website's long gone, but I, I saved the you know screen grabs of some of those just because they were so cool. and I still have them in my in my files.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, okay, so now, but then you kind of transitioned into, here's the, cause here's the thing that is very endearing and frustrating about you is that you are so, you think so far outside the box in these clever, fun ways. Like all your music is its own thing. I don't know how, how else to say it. it. doesn't sound like anybody else. It just sounds like you, but it's all, it's not esoteric. It's fun.
1: But it is frustrating. For me, <laughs> frustrating was a good word you chose because I don't know, you know, no one knows where to place it and, and uh, you know, how, how to categorize it. But it's also
0: frustrating for me because, like, I see the see you do this. I was like, God damn it, Mike! What are you come on? Save save some creativity for the rest of us.
1: Oh, well, thank you. That's yeah.
0: <laughs> but you have no. So now you're writing your work. You're doing this series of books, which is also fascinating. And like, what a great idea. There are books about unusual animals,
1: extraordinary people. Well, there's Curious Constructions, and then the newest one coming out is unconventional vehicles.
0: Unconventional vehicles. You so you, you started writing these very these clever books about these Oddities. Of oddities, yeah, exactly. And then you put make music to go along with it. And that music is, is good all on its own. Like I was just listening to a song that you did with Tanya Donnelly.
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. No, Tanya. In fact, she just sent me, um she just sent me a selfie video this morning, which I'm gonna make into a that sounds very kinky. She sent me a video of her singing uh, the track for, she sings on the new album too. That's coming out and I'm going to try to make a video of it. Uh, she's, she's the best. She's the best.
0: You're going to break my heart. She is my, I am so infatuated with her one album, the one belly album star. Oh, the,
1: yeah, such a great record.
0: It's so good. It's this. this, it's got this kind of folktale magic to it. The surrealism.
1: Is that the feed the trees? Album? Feed the
0: tree album. It has also stay.
1: Yes. Yeah, stay. It oh, has, you know, uh, I, I was so lucky, uh, you know, when I, When I first met Tanya, we started collaborating on some stuff together. And then um, she said, you know, I want to do some shows. Well, she was just coming out of being mom mode. She had two kids, two awesome daughters, and she was just getting to the point where she wanted to start performing live again and said, would you want to be in my backing band for these shows? Oh, and I was like, yes. You know, so I got to do a couple of shows, one up in Boston and one in New York City where I was playing guitar. And it was just kind of like my my 20-something self had to like pinch myself. every, You know, like I'm playing Feed the Trees. I'm playing songs from Throwing Muses' Real Ramona with Tanya on stage. You know, and it was, I mean, and they're on YouTube and they're really funny because it, it was the most ridiculous band you could possibly put together. It was me... Claudia Gonson from the Magnetic Fields, Rick Moody played guitar, Hannah Marcus. I mean, it's like absurd. And getting to play those songs, was just like, wow, I'd never in a million years would have expected this. Um, but she's a, she's a, such a sweetie and a wonderful person. Is she? Yes. All right. Well. Genuine, awesome person. You
0: actually, a lot of the cool people who I have met, I met through you. Like I met Claudia through, I'm not fr- super good friends with Claudia, but I have met her. Mm-hmm. You introduced me to Mila Goldberg. Oh, uh, yeah. She's really cool. I mean, she probably doesn't remember me, but I, I thought she was really cool. I bet she does. Uh, I do not think
1: so. Well, you, were, you actually uh, stayed with me one. Uh, you camped for the weekend and visited when I was house sitting for Jonathan Lethem. You actually spent the night. You camped for the weekend for like a dude's hang or something, and we both were in the Fortress of Solitude together. Oh
0: shit! You're right.
1: Like Jonathan, Jonathan uh, and his family were up in Maine, and and I was there for really like three months, uh, an entire summer and yeah it was hilarious it was like right when that book had come out too It was like we're living in the fortress of solitude
0: <laughs> oh man, what like, i think back on that time and this i have so many of those weird experiences that sound ridiculous i mean they sound like i think back when i'm like oh my god i can't believe i lived through that and I'll bring them up sometime to my wife and she has she's completely unimpressed.
1: Uh, yeah well there's you know that's good that's that's we these are the people we need to be married to. Keep us at bay. My my wife is the same She's like I don't care. How is Kelly? She's she's good. I mean we're both obviously slogging through the corona world. Um,
0: yeah, we'll have to get together. You know what, when especially since our kids, especially since Emmy and Nathan and uh, Indigo oh, yeah. uh, Fiona Mazel's kid. Mm-hmm. Are you do you still hang out with Fiona? Nobody, I guess nobody hangs out with yeah, anybody.
1: No, um, actually just last Saturday, me, Fiona, and Claudia all went to the zoo together and oh. brought our kids. And, oh. you know, Eve, Indigo, and uh, Nathan all ran around like loony children. And yeah, it was fun.
0: Emmy, Emmy got to hang out with Indigo uh, last summer at, uh, when Fiona was renting a house uh, right. kind of near us. And they got along really well. So I think, you know, at some point when the world gets back, something back to normal, something like normal, we will have to get our kids all together because they're all the same. Yeah. They're the same age. For sure. It seems like a no-brainer.
1: Yeah. No, that'd be great. It'd be a lot of fun. Yes. I have never been to Rochester, so that would be, I'd love to even get up that way sometime.
0: Well, when the time comes, if you ever want to come up here, there is an amazing museum of toys, which you would love.
1: I would love that. Nathan would love it too.
0: Before coronavirus, we had a, a year-long pass, so we could go whenever we wanted. Mm-hmm. So we would just be bored and go. Is it interactive? Yeah, it's very interactive. Very cool. There are some old toys that you can't touch that are behind glass, but then cool. there's lots of stuff that you can play with.
1: Yeah, that's, like, yeah, that's like exactly the opposite of like coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah. that's like probably the first place to close.
0: No, but when the uh, time comes, you got to come up here. You, you, you're welcome to stay with us. Our house isn't huge, but you're welcome to stay with us. But you got to see that. I mean, because I feel like you could even you could probably write a book about what you see in that museum.
1: It sounds fascinating. You know, you know what museum? Um, we, me, and my child went to a couple weeks ago. Maybe you saw it on social media. But we we went to the Pez Museum. I did see that. Yeah, Pez quarters. Uh, that was fascinating and so much fun. That's near you because you're in what? You're in Connecticut right now, right? Well, no, I'm, I'm back in Brooklyn. We go back and forth. Um, oh, okay. But uh, it, yeah, it's about uh, forty five minutes from where we were in Connecticut last week or two weeks ago and yeah it's it's an it's orange orange connecticut which is actually where my agent my literary agent lives um and it's a fun museum i mean it's, it's the factory and the headquarters for all things pez and they have uh, they've done a really great job of putting laying out the history of pez and having every dispenser you could possibly imagine which are thousands in the room oh that sounds really cool and then sugar you up
0: yeah i mean i get, I, I just keep on putting on putting things on my list of things to do one day
1: Pez. Put Pez on your list.
0: That sounds like a place I could go one day in the future after the plague.
1: So tell me about Albany. I mean, Albany, I keep saying that. Uh, mm-hmm. Rochester, What what is it like there?
0: Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, well, it's cold as fuck yeah. six or seven months out of the year. Like right now, we're actually having a nice day today, but it's generally just yeah, here too. snow all the time from November to April. But in the warm months, it's gorgeous, and I have a nice backyard backyard. The good thing about Rochester is that it's cheap. So the same amount of money that we were renting a ha- a, a, an apartment in Chicago, we're renting a house, a whole
1: house here. Uh-huh.
0: It's a ni- it's a nice place to live.
1: And are you close to the lake? Are you? Can you?
0: Yeah, uh... very close to the lake. Uh, we can go there. We go there relatively often. Uh, we hit, we live within walking distance of this beautiful park that was designed by the guy who did Central Park. What's his name? Oh, almost dead. Frederick Law Olmsted.
1: Olmsted, yes. Yeah.
0: So we live within easy walking distance. We take our dogs there all the time. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice place to live. I did not think I was going to enjoy living here. And at first I was dead set against it. When my wife got a job offer here, I was like, I cannot move to I, I didn't even know what Rochester was. I don't think I, I don't even know if I'd ever heard of Rochester before. You know what you know
1: what and, I know about Rochester what? Uh, is only from my research with extraordinary people. Is isn't Genesee Falls near Rochester? Yeah, yeah. So I have a song about um, Sam Patch, and uh, he's in the he's in the extraordinary people book. Sam Patch, um, the Yankee Leaper, as they called him, who would leap off of waterfalls at all, over, all over the world. But um, he, he actually uh, met his match at Genesee Falls. And that's the end of the song and the entry in the Extraordinary People book.
0: I have to look that up. Uh, well, it turns out that once you do hear about Rochester, it's all over American history. It's, it's not a big player in, as far as cities now, but it was on the Erie Canal, or it is on, well, Erie Canal, uh, when the Erie Canal used to matter. It was there, so this was a major commerce city. So there's all kinds of famous people who who like the the Bush dynasty started here. HP uh, Lovecraft's grandfather is from here. His name was Whipple Lovecraft. I love that. I'm I, I I've decided I have to use that name somewhere or Whipple at least.
1: It's a good band name, Whipple Lovecraft, or an album.
0: Okay, so I want to so because here I go. I'm gonna get I want to get a little weedy here. I think I told you when we were texting before that I've been playing with music lately. yeah that's great just for fun and like I always could play chords I could play G, C, D, A minor E minor stuff like that but I'm trying to learn the actual music theory behind it so I've just been learning everything about uh different kind of scales and and, and it makes me wonder how you how re- professional how real professional musicians get into that dirt like how do you approach writing a song
1: I mean, I don't think it's any different than what you're doing. I, don't, I, I really don't think there's any difference. You, there are so many different ways. In fact, I switch up. You know, I I, I love to try different directions all the time. I mean, it's, it, going back to the author album, you know, there are times where the author would give us lyrics and we would write music to it. And there was a few times where we'd write the music and the author would write the lyrics.
0: Hey, which one was that?
1: Let's uh, see, "Kiss Me, You Brat," the Rick Moody song. Oh, okay. I wrote the music for and gave it to him, and then he wrote lyrics to fit the melody, which I had just, you know, like an instrument playing the melody. And and then at other times it was mostly, you know, here's Paul Oster handing us lyrics and we would write a song to go with those lyrics. But you know, that, that's, that's very much the, the lyric approach. But as far as composing in general, I mean, I, sometimes I write on piano, sometimes I write on guitar Sometimes I just sing a melody into my phone and I'll save it, you know, for when I'm like, I need an idea, you know, and I'll go back and listen through my audio notes and I'll hear myself humming or singing a melody and then flesh it out. I mean, there are times also where I'm just under the gun to compose something for, I do a lot of film scoring and it's, you know, we need a track right away for this scene and we want it to be sort of this style or whatever. And I'll, I'll just listen to a bunch of different things for inspiration okay. and that helps too you know so I, I also I really enjoy deconstructing other people's compositions and using that for inspiration and you know and there are times I mean it's it's, a, it's an evil thing in, in the film world where it's like we want something that sounds like this song but we can't use this actual song and I have to actually write a ridiculous ripoff of that song <laughs> but I enjoy that because it puts me in that composer's brain and I hope people do that with my music too, you know, and it's like this telephone line that continues on and, it, you know, puts me in that person's brain and I get to compose in a way that I don't normally compose and it opens up all kinds of channels. Um, oh, this is cool. He has, you know, a string section going, wah, 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 and then, the, you know, then the uh, tubos go, mm-hmm, you know, and this is like, I would never write that, you know, so it's cool to dive in that way.
0: And then you can use that later on for one of your – for an original – like a more original composition. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, it just all you, Or you can
0: use that inspiration to like leapfrog off of it. But
1: that's – you know, I think that's part of the fun is is there is no right or wrong. and It's always just exploring and finding new techniques and, and you know, I, I would imagine the most successful musicians out there don't do that. They stick with one style mm. and – Everyone knows them for that one style, and they don't branch away from it, and that becomes their brand. And that's part of my problem is I love to be a chameleon and try all these different things, uh, and that makes me a little harder to be like, oh, this is what Michael Hurst does.
0: You know, that is my. Uh, I was thinking very something very similar about my writing. I, for some reason, I keep writing these melodies and ending. They're in the Locrian scale, which is just impossible to add chords to, and I, f- I feel like. All, I've been writing all my stuff in and Even like my – anything I write is always just too weird to be easily categorized. So I don't get picked right. up by literary magazines. I don't get picked up by agents and stuff. No, that's
1: exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like if you branch off too far, you don't have a brand. You know, I mean, having uh, breakfast one morning with David Harrington from the Kronos Quartet and, and was actually telling him, you know, I was like, I just feel like it's hard for me to have a, a solid career that is – one thing you know i part of it is i get bored with what i'm doing but um i always want to try different things and i was like and 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 he was the one who was like well you know but that is one thing because over the course of time you have all these different albums and that is your thing that is your catalog and that is your style and you know and and i guess what he was saying and i look at Kronos quartet as an example is they've been this string quartet that cannot get enough of experimenting and trying new projects and working with new composers. Mm -hmm. And that's their thing. It's not like, Oh, this sounds like the Kronos Quartet. You don't hear Kronos Quartet, but what the Kronos Quartet is,
0: is this experimental machine, this machine.
1: Yeah. And so that, you know, that, that was enlightening in many ways to feel like, okay, so I can just keep doing the weird shit I'm doing. And I will amass this collection of weird shit. That is my, my weird shit. (laughs) You know,
0: the interesting thing is that I think that you do have a style. I hear your music and I think that sounds exactly like Mike. Like I don't. Okay. Maybe I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I don't have a very refined musical palette, but I just, I hear your stuff and it sounds like, Oh, that
1: sounds like Mike. Well, that makes me happy to hear. I mean, you know, I I don't know if you know much of my film music. I'm like, I don't know if you would compare. I I do feel like there's a me style with like one ring zero in my records, solo records and stuff. But you know, when you get into film scoring.
0: Well, I mean, film scoring Film scoring is its own thing, but I will go back and I will, I have listened to your film scores in the past. I think you one one time gave me an album of your rarities. Oh yeah. And uh, there was some film stuff on there, but I should go back and listen to it now. And with that information in mind, what does not bode well for your career is how much I love your music. You know what I mean? No. Well, The fact that I like it, is a, is a, is a major means that I will have no success. It's a, it's a major impediment to, to get yeah, financial success.
1: Well, um, and so I, 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 do blame you in part, uh, for the lack of success I've had. Um, you know, I, I do fine, um, financially, I'm not having best selling albums that make me tons of money. I, 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 judge a successful year by how many 1099s I fill out. Right. And it's like, if, if, if I, if I can, uh, you know, get gigs at various places around the world and also score a few films and also license some songs to some podcasts and, um, and put on a few children's books and just all these little bits of income coming from 50 different places. I'm good, you know, and that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a nightmare for my accountant. But
0: (laughs) But you, uh, I think you're a a good example of a person who's, you, you are making music, you're making Art in all multiple different uh, mediums, and you make a career out of it, and you're you're doing fine. You live you live in Brooklyn. Oh yeah,
1: that's, that's the real test right there. Can you afford to rent in Brooklyn?
0: Yeah, if you can afford
1: rent in Brooklyn, you're. So here, yeah, here's the real test. I've done amazingly well to the point where I can continue to rent in Brooklyn, but I will never be able to buy in Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> if you have to go back in time to, to rent and to buy in Brooklyn,
1: or you have to be at a level of. Um... Uh, you know, I mean, like Stephen Merritt from the Magnetic Fields, he's he's done much better than me, and he could afford to buy something in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So I haven't done that well. <laughs> I have not done as well as Stephen. For
0: okay. um, so, so existing aside, you seem like you have a happy, good life.
1: It's fun. I really do. I, I really have few complaints about... But no, it's a good life, uh, and you know I feel very lucky. It's like, um, and then there's fluoxetine.
0: Oh, fluoxetine. Let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I a couple days ago I posted something on Instagram because I I was just collecting all my pills that I take in the morning, and I looked at this pile of pills, and I was like, oh, this is funny. This is a funny picture. So I took a picture of it and said this is all I
1: need to be a human or something like that. You didn't mention what any of the pills were. You just took a picture of the pills. Right, right. And And I recognized one of them right away. Yeah, like you immediately were like,
0: oh, 60 milligrams of
1: fluoxetine. But I love that we call it fluoxetine, which is like, because I feel like there's a taboo around saying Prozac fluoxetine sounds like it's it's more obscure but it's it's its generic name for Prozac.
0: Right. I I usually call it Prozac but I started calling it fluoxetine because of you. I must have looked at that word 500 times on on the bottle and never or never never quite put it into uh sounded it out properly. I just feel like
1: Prozac sounds so like uh, overdone at this point. You know, I take Prozac, but you now who cares? Get out of here. You know, fluoxetine. Yeah,
0: fluoxetine is good. I, so I take fluoxetine and I take, well, I always say, I say, well, butrin, but I actually guess I take blue O's, I don't
1: know. Again, I don't know. I don't remember these things. Well, I texted you the other day because, you know, oh, right, right.
0: so you texted me just this
1: random question about fluoxetine. Yeah, so I can explain now. Um, so I take 20 milligrams of fluoxetine a day, and I have been since I was a, a teen, a fluoxetine. <laughs> I was a fluoxetine. Um, no, uh, but I, I've been taking it for you know 30 years now, whatever. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lifer on the stuff. And and, uh, and you know I'm always getting to the point where I run out eventually, and I call my doctor. And I'm like, can you give me a refill? And he's like, you have to come in. It's been a year. I'm like, oh, come on, really? Just so you can write me a prescription? I've been taking this stuff for 30 years. Um, but it always gets to that point. And then it occurred to me, because I have another medicine I take. Um, I take a, a very low dose of a statin, um, just because there's a lot of heart disease in my family. Okay. And but my doctor made a mistake and wrote me too large of an a, amount, which is a welcome mistake because the pills I just cut them in half and I have tons of extra pills. So I here and also I had this scheming idea like, oh, why don't I just get my doctor to why don't I just tell them I need 60 milligrams and that way I have tons of extra, but that wouldn't work if they're capsules that are 60 milligram size. Oh. If they're only 20 milligram size, then boom, jackpot. I'll have, you know, Oh right. Uh, tons of extras uh, oh, a... that I can sell to the Hang on, black on. market.
0: That's my dog, Lulu. Lulu, calm down. I don't know if she's barking. It's probably a leaf outside.
1: But yeah, so that, that was, that was my question was like, if they only come in twenty mil, milligram size, I'm gonna next time lie and tell him I take sixty or forty, or whatever, so that I get bigger bottles with more pills. Yeah, and I have a backup stash. Yeah, I like that shit. And I don't have to come crawling to him. Um, yeah, but you know, but if they're sixty milligram capsules, I'm out of luck. Like, what am I going to do? open them capsules and split the little beads inside? And, um, well,
0: when I took sixty milligrams, there were it wasn't a capsule; it was a pill.
1: So, okay, so I can do that. I mean, I can even
0: pills that. are hard to break into into thirds, but easier than capsules. They are.
1: But yeah, I probably want to do 40 milligrams so I could break it in half. That's a safer bet. But if I do an absurd amount like 60 milligrams, yeah, it's more likely I'll get capsules than are 20.
0: My doctor gave me 60 milligram pills at, at first. And then when I started, I balked at the price. I was like, this is an absurd price. What's going on? And she said... Oh, for some reason, 60 milligram pills are way more expensive than 20 milligram pills, like more than uh, three times expensive, like just ridiculous amount more expensive. So she changed the prescription. So you could always do that. You could ask for the pills, I mean the Uh, the capsules.
1: I think I will. I'm going to do this. Um, It's a good idea. You're smarting me up right now.
0: Oh, yeah. Smarting you up. Oh man, you guys are really you're gonna make me make you're gonna make me change the name of this
1: podcast, aren't you? Uh, smart me up is great.
0: So far, everybody has gone. Nobody sides with me. You
1: know, make me smart is obvious. Smart me up is like street, and I like it. <laughs> How is Tara doing? Uh, she's doing very well. I see her. I see her on Facebook. Yeah, it seems like she's uh, staying busy. And
0: i I'm, I'm really impressed with her career. When we talk to each other, she. She's not as impressed with her own career as I am, which is not surprising. I love seeing, I love watching the the arc of her career. I love watching the arc of my friends as they like maneuver their way into bigger success. No, oh,
1: it's very generous of you. I hate seeing the arc of my friends. But no,
0: I <laughs> <them>. <laughs> no, I think it's it's great because you know what? Well, I think part of it is that I uh, I have I have given up on designs of being the Academy Award-winning filmmaker, screenwriter—that I thought mm-hmm, I was to be when I was a kid. Uh, so I'm just like, you know, I—it's fun. Like now I'm just this—I'm now I'm just this guy who knows a lot of cool people. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like a, which is w- one of the reasons put this podcast. So like, I know enough people like you that I can. Are you calling me a cool person? Yeah, no. absolutely a cool person. I'm so not cool, but um, oh my god, like, well you, well, granted, cool by my standards, which is not. Well, right. the same thing.
1: Which goes back to, like, you were the curse of my career. Exactly, Yeah. Like, if you like my music, yeah. Um, hey, do you talk
0: to Josh anymore?
1: Yeah, I mean, n- not a lot, but we, uh, you know, text each other once in a while with goofy things or emails and, um, you know, social media. We follow each other on social media. But yeah. And, you know... I, I, That's good to hear.
0: Always glad to hear that bands didn't, like, explode upon...
1: Oh, no. No, no, no. In fact, you know, we did a couple shows a year or two ago and you know in fact barbass was talking about doing some shows up front again and maybe you know josh and i would just do some duo stuff
0: oh man i i just real quick real quick aside i was just thinking when as i was preparing not mentally preparing to talk to you how jealous i always was that you had barbass as a neighborhood bar i just love that place yeah
1: well, I mean, uh, there's
0: a mural of you on the wall, isn't well, it? Well, I was gonna
1: say, yeah. I mean, it's funny to be jealous of something that, like, I feel like I helped create. You know, like it's, it's, um, you know, I feel like Barbès is what it is, especially for me because I kind of helped Olivier cultivate, yeah, cultivate it into that. You know, it's there. I'm not an owner, but it's like I, I was there from the beginning and actually helped build part. of You know, structurally helped build it and um, was always performing there and it was family. So, you know, created it into this family environment um it's, it's been such a bummer to really not have it for the last year i mean it's it's uh, uh but it's not going away is it no it's not going away but you know the, okay uh and in fact you can go in and have a drink but it's like not and, same thing yeah not same thing i'm not ready for it. um you know yeah. but there's tables out front and he's actually turned it a little bit into a, a liquor store these days which is fascinating just to help make ends meet right now you can buy organic wines i'm
0: glad things. to see i'm glad to see people figuring out something yeah.
1: to do um but yeah that you know that the bar best is a fantastic place and always has been and um you know in, in my memoir which will never get written it's like that's a huge piece of it you know I was was moving to new york in, in the year 2001 which was such a pivotal year for the whole world but to move to brooklyn and meet the McSweeney's team to meet Olivier and Barbès, and to have buildings get hit by airplanes. And yes, it was a fucking insane time.
0: And then also around the time you had that huge blackout, blackout I just remember, yeah. I remember watching from Philadelphia, all this stuff happen and feeling this strange sense of, not that I wish I was there to see all this craziness happening, but like I was seeing all of my friends go through this, Stuff and I wasn't quite with them.
1: You're having FOMO of disaster? Disaster FOMO?
0: <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Um, I guess. I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I don't know exactly that, but more like it was this huge shared experience that it was, a city was having. It
1: really was. Um,
0: that I didn't have um, a way funny,
1: with With um, coronavirus, we got a dodge. I was like, I'm done. I don't need a shared experience anymore. <laughs> you know, we, we went, went up to Connecticut and were there for almost four months or something watching you know all of our friends in new york who are like we're stuck inside ambulances fire engines all the time and you know i'm like i'm glad i'm not there you know um especially with a kid you know like uh Mm -hmm. being an adult without a child
0: speaking of ambulances yeah.
1: yeah um but you know i saw a friend when i came back last summer and he was like yeah, it was great to be here. Where were you? You know, it was kind of like vibing me. Like I was glad I could be here with everybody and be part of the community during this time. And I was like, you know what, you don't have a kid. And that really was the deal breaker. You know, like I didn't want to be here and have my kids stuck in a 700 square foot apartment while people were being hauled off on stretchers every day. Huge know? difference. Yes.
0: Huge difference.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, 2001, you know, it was, uh, Insane and challenging, and the black. You know, going back to the blackout and mix uh, barbass, It was we were scheduled to play a show that night at barbass when the blackout happened, and and it happened earlier in the day. And I remember I got a call from Fiona at like you know whatever it was, ten a.m. and she was at the par she was working at the Paris Review at the time, and she said, "Hey, do you have power?" And I was like, "No," you know, and like because everybody thought it was just their neighborhood at first, but that you know, escalated into everyone being outside going, do you, you know, whatever. But fast forward eight hours that evening, it was like, okay, so we can't play at Barbess because there's no electricity. And then it was like, why don't we just play acoustically in front of Barbast? Um And it turned into this what? thing with, you know, hundreds of people gathered around, taking over the park, the, the side, uh, the sidewalk and spilling into the street. And like, you know, Paul Oster and, uh his whole crew came out and were standing by, feet. you know, it was like, it was just this hilarious kind of Brooklyn moment of, I think it was 2003, 2004. I don't even know what year it was.
0: I think that would be 2003. Okay. Oh, that's so cool. I love that stuff so much. I love it. Yeah, I mean, you that. know,
1: I, I, I keep thinking, I want to write this stuff down. In fact, I did. I've written a lot of it down and I handed the first hundred pages to my agent. And he was like, eh, <laughs> yeah it's like everyone's got their stories of new york what, what makes this special i'm like uh because it's
0: me i guess that's the question it's like how much of it how much are you doing would you be writing it for the money or do you re- be writing it to get it out of your head
1: um i'd be writing it for other generations who didn't experience it to see what this was like i mean that's what i i'd hope i you know i'm writing. It, i'm writing it for my niece and nephew for my son to uh wow, what a crazy time and place to be in New York. That's
0: why I, I think it's still worth worth writing. I mean, you, you're in, you're under no timeline
1: to get it right. done, but... You, Except you should, I am, because I'm do, forgetting, you know, it's slipping. It's been, um, you um, know, the longer I wait, the more I'm forgetting details and, and I kind of feel like I need to write things down before it's too far hmm. away.
0: What's interesting, uh, you say that, I'm also thinking about like all that, I've been thinking a lot about that, that time period. Uh, with the literary magazine online world, mm-hmm. uh, and all the people that I met through it, because I, I interviewed my friend Darcy uh, from K- Camp K- from Kitten Pants last week, and uh, it, I just think like there's there's probably that's there's, there's a whole story about that world, and you fit into that world because like you know that was all part of like the aftershock of McSweeney's, yeah. So there was this whole literary scene that just kind of like existed. And I don't know, maybe there are similar ones now, but I
1: don't, I don't think so. I don't, Not the same. I don't yeah. think so either. And it was also the beginning of blogs and, you know, that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's funny because it's interesting now that you say that because it reminds me a little bit of like, yes, there could be an amazing novel written that takes place in that era that was such a specific era. Like I think about like um, T.C. Boyle's Road to Wellville, you know, which takes place in this bizarre moment where everyone was trying to make breakfast cereals. You know, and like Battle Creek, Michigan and and, and John Harvey Kellogg, the brother of the uh, Kellogg company guy who had his sanatorium and like, what a weird moment. And this is all real stuff. It's a novel, but it's just this weird moment where everyone is competing for a new breakfast cereal which for health foods. And it's like, okay, so let's, let's now write a novel that takes place. In Brooklyn in two thousand and one, where everyone is competing or not competing, but you know, has their literary magazines and and you know, all the all the Jonathans and you know.
0: Yes, I think there's. I think that that's. uh, I've just been thinking about possibly documenting that, if only through this website. Yeah, I like it. I mean, through this podcast. I I think it's interesting, but again, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's for a big audience. I don't think there are many people who would care to read it. But I think that there are some people who would, I think, I do think it's this little sure. piece of history that is interesting to a subset of us.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I that's why I feel like, you know, you maybe have to make it a fiction thing that takes place during that time. If you really wanted a, a wider audience, um, you know, as opposed to just documenting this time, but I, I, would certainly love just the documenting, the documenting of, I mean, there is that, <laughs> the, the documentary, the, uh, one ring zero Sweeney's documentary that, um, I don't know where it exists anymore, but, uh, as smart as they are, oh. which is kind of funny to see the McSweeney store back in 2001, 2002. And all the authors are in there talking and, you know, it's like John Hodgman oh. before anybody knew who Hodgman was. And...
0: Is that, a, oh, I met you yeah, Hodgman. Oh, well, Hodgman was part of that world.
1: Yeah. I wonder if I could ever talk to um, him. How long, like about five years ago, Hodgman, um, his kid was goes to the school just down the street from me not the same school my kid goes to, but Hodgman was doing this PTA fundraising event at the school and asked if I would be part of it. Um, and so I played a few songs and he was doing some reading and, and, uh, it was me, Hodgman and, um, uh, Eugene Meerman. Um, and, you know, and it was packed with parents and, and, you know, I'm sure it did its job to raise funds, but, uh, But Hodgman, you know, got up at one point and introduced me or after I played a song, he stood up, you know, to all these parents and whatever and said, you know, by the way, I should point out here that Michael Hurst, you know, he, he, he became best known from this literary project with great, all these authors wrote lyrics and they put it out in this album. And I should point out that I wrote one ring, zero lyrics and they didn't use them (laughs) and and he you know he was like shaming me in front of the, this entire thing and I I just walked to the microphone and I said, that's because they weren't any good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was kind of the last time we talked. Um, I mean not really, <laughs> but uh, you know he, no. he, he, he like turned to me and gave me one of those little hand gestures like my gorge, you know after I said that, I was like, well,
0: that's what he was so great at back in that time. That was his like his role in the in that literary world was he was like an MC. But he was super dry. Yeah. he had a great same sense of humor that he has now. But but super dry and really sharp, very really fast.
1: You know, I feel like I feel like you mentioned like some of these experiences in, in New York, and I feel like I'm that guy who knows so many. I hate to be a name droppy dude, but it's like I feel like I know so many people, but like no one knows who I am, and, and I've, I've been a master of like clinging on to, you know, having all these friends that. Uh, Python. Pison, same with me. And it's weird because they are legit my friends, and I mention their names, and I feel stupid about it. Um, you know, like, I don't think that And I'm mean, proud of them.
0: I don't think it reads that way. I don't mean I don't think that it's when you when you talk. I don't it doesn't sound like you're name dropping. It sounds like you're talking about your friends, and you just have this ridiculously charming
1: life. Well, which is yeah, a little little disgusting in itself. But uh, no, I am proud of my friends, and they are awesome. But I also have plenty of, of friends who are not. Names
0: Like me. Okay, so that went pretty well. I had a really good time talking to him. I think he had an okay time talking to me. I have no idea if you had a good time listening to it. I actually don't even know if you're out there right now. Uh, but if you are, thanks for listening this long. Uh, if you're not, that's fine. There's plenty of podcasts that I'm not listening to right now. So no hard feelings, you know. Real quick, I just want to say that the first song that I played was Golem off of One Ring Zero's Smart As They Are. And the second song is Blue Footed Booby off of Michael Hurst's Songs for Unusual Creatures. I was hoping to find a different song off that album because I kind of didn't want to say that title, but this is the one that fit. Anyway. Both albums are available on Spotify. Uh, I I think pretty much all of Mike's stuff is available on Spotify. It's, I highly recommend you go listen to it. It's very good. And check out his books. He's a talented writer and a funny guy. So uh, I guess that's the episode for now. I don't want to belabor this. I'm sure you have other things to do with your life besides sitting here and listening to me kind of ramble to no end at the end of a podcast when you know there's nothing coming up next. like Honestly, it's your fault, really. You should have turned the podcast off already. I'm actually going to shut up now, but I just want you to know that you are at fault here.